Hello again, I'm Morgan Roberts, one of the old retired ministers whose delight it is to be connected with Church of the Palms and to enjoy the friendship and pastoral leadership of uh, Pastor Steve McConnell. I'm going to begin today by reading you two lessons, after which we'll think about what they might be saying to us. Let's see where they are. I have to read them from my, from my cell phone where I can expand the print. This one's from the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, uh, you shall be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or a sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you shall be liable to hell. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and sister and then come and offer your gift. And a second very brief lesson from uh, the Gospel of Luke, which is right here. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I'm going to say one thing to you today on the basis of these lessons, and it's simply this. Uh, why don't you do yourself a great favor of living without enemies? Follow Jesus' example. Don't, don't have any enemies. Uh, that was Jesus' way of life. Uh, God's will for us is that we love our enemies and that in addition to that, we pray for those who are persecuting us that's the way he lived. It was his way of life until the very end. Until the very end when, as we've just heard, he prayed over those who were crucifying him, crucifying him, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Jesus lived that way, and you can too. Let me tell you a story that comes from a murder mystery I read recently. This is uh, there's much more to the book than, than this little story, but this is the way it begins. It's in a little rural town uh, in Minnesota. And this town is so strapped for funds that they can't afford a jailkeeper. They, they have a jail, but they have no one to stay there as the jailkeeper. And of course, someone has to be there if you left the jail alone, something went wrong with the heating system. There were a fire, the prisoner would be 
uh, locked into a flaming inferno and the liability legal costs to the town, well, it would uh, virtually destroy the town. However, the situation is working out because the jailer, excuse me, the sheriff who has to act as the jailer, uh, sort of likes being there with the prisoner. It happens that at this particular point, the prisoner is the town drunk. He's in and out. And uh, over many times in and out, he and the sheriff have become very good friends to the point that they play, uh, they play chess hour on end. Snacks and food are brought to them from a nearby restaurant. Uh, and they just enjoy being together. When nighttime comes, uh, the prisoner gets into the cell. Uh, the uh, sheriff gets into his bed and everything is safe. For that matter, it's such a congenial situation that during the day uh, when the sheriff is, is called away, there's an accident or some kind of a problem, uh, he takes the prisoner with him uh, to help out. That's how close the relationship is. So this situation, this relationship, uh, as it brings with it a question, who's the prisoner? Uh, is the prisoner the prisoner? Or is the sheriff, because of his close relationship with the prisoner, is he the prisoner? Who's the prisoner? Well, what about your situation? In your situation, uh, who's the prisoner? If you have a relationship in which you have a, an almost murderous hatred of another person, who's the victim, who's the prisoner? You are. Uh, the other person whom you dislike so intensely may not even know that you dislike him. So the victim is you. You're the victim. You're the one being murdered, uh, which is another way of talking about suicide. So uh, in your life, how does this go? Well, of course, when we're, when we're little kids, this is not a problem. Uh, we learn early in life that uh, we don't like everybody and not everybody likes us. If during recess at school, there's one particular kid who picks on us, it doesn't really matter because we've been taught to say, uh, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Later on in life, however, you can't pass these situations by because we can end up in situations where we have to live very much closely, closely with our people that we don't like, people that we think are our enemies. I mean, it can be a job. Suppose you end up uh, working in the very same company, in the very same department, with someone who doesn't like you and someone that you don't like. Uh, how do you do that? Uh, how do you maintain a productive relationship with a company when you can't, you can't uh, stand one another? Well, of course, the company may solve the problem. If profits go down, they may fire both of you. You'll continue to hate one another, but uh, now at a distance, uh, you won't be working together anymore. 
And this was quite a challenge for me when I first went into the ministry. Uh, I went to a church, a little church of 212 members. I went there, of course, not having met many of the members. And uh, one of the things, first things with which I was confronted is that I had to find a way to work with all of these people, whether they liked me or not, whether I liked them or not. Uh, it was a contractual relationship. I was installed by the presbytery uh, to be a faithful, loving pastor to these people. I would be baptizing their babies, marrying their sons and daughters, visiting them in the hospital, praying with them, uh, burying members of their family. It was inescapable, like it or not, uh, I was going to have to live with these people. Now that leads me to call attention to the fact of anyone hearing my words today uh, thinks that it would be difficult to be a pastor and not to be liked. Uh, sort of give up temporarily the idea of ever becoming a pastor because if you, if you need to be liked, uh, the ministry is not going to work out. You might first of all try being a plumber or an electrician because they're always liked. When you call a plumber or the electrician, they come and fix the problem and you heap all kinds of thanks and praise upon them. But it doesn't work that way in the ministry. You are thrown in to close, loving, pastoral relationships with people. Uh, you've got to live with them, whether you like it or not. Well, what happened to me in that first little church, and I don't know how long it took, and I don't remember who they were, I simply settled down and figured, well, I'll go about my pastoral duties, and uh, I don't know what they'll be thinking of me, I don't know what I'll be thinking of them, but I'm going to be a loving, faithful pastor, and I'm going to take uh, Jesus' way of life if they want to be my enemy, I'll pray, no, you can't be my enemy. Uh, we love our enemies, we pray for them, and maybe they will do the same too. But after 10 years, it was a very good 10 years that I had in that little church. It was not the same when I went on to my second church. This was a church of five, 600 members, and uh, after a long search, a pastoral nominating committee chose me as their candidate. Uh, a meeting was called in which I would preach a candidating sermon, retire to another room. Uh, people could ask questions, and then a vote would be put that I'd be called as pastor. Now, what the pastor nominating committee did not know is that there was a whole group of people in that church that didn't like the chairman of that committee. He was a banker with international experience, a fine chairman of the committee, but there was just this dissident group of people who didn't like the chairman. It had nothing to do with me. And the plan was, I'd preach my candidating sermon, and after that, a representative of this dissident group would stand up and make a second motion, a substitute motion, 
that they call a young assistant pastor instead as their new pastor. So I preached my sermon, I went to the other room, and the person who was appointed to speak for the dissident group stood up and said, well, I came here today to make a substitute motion, but I like what I've just heard, and I think we should call Morgan Roberts to be our pastor. Well, there was uh, uh, not a great sigh of relief, but uh, sort of a, a, a moan of approval. And uh, the chairman of the meeting said, are you ready to vote? Uh, those in favor of calling Morgan Roberts say aye. And uh, there was a great chorus of ayes. And he said, well, it sounds like we have a unanimous vote for Morgan Roberts as our new pastor. A hand went up in the back of the room. And one young man said, I came here to vote for a substitute motion. And it wasn't made. So I cannot vote for Morgan Roberts, and I want my vote recorded. So it wasn't a unanimous call. At least I knew who my enemy was and where I was going to have to focus my attention. Well, you know, the weeks went by, uh, the months went by. I got to know this man who was the single person to vote against me, got to know his family, and I did exactly what I've told you today. I took Jesus' advice, and I thought, he's not going to be my enemy. I prayed for him, and what do you know? It worked. That man who was the one enemy that I had became not only a good friend, but by my best friend. For that matter, it was so close that one time when my then wife and I had to be away on the West Coast for a week, it occurred to us, if we were to die together, who would raise our children? Our parents were too old, they were unsuitable for that. So we met with a lawyer, went before a judge, and named this single enemy of mine and his wife to be the legal guardians of our people. It worked. And it worked because that's where the, way we, the way we're made. We're made not for enmity. We're made for friendship. There's no magic to it. Uh, it says about Jesus, the word was made flesh. Uh, that could also be translated, uh, the word was made human. And to be truly human is to be a friend to everyone. We are programmed for friendship with everyone. And that's, you know, why so many people were healed by Jesus. That's one thing you never notice. Uh, we know the major healings, the exorcisms, we know names, places, events. But what we don't notice is that all these throngs of people who gathered to listen to Jesus talk throughout the gospel, forget about the ones who opposed him, all those who loved to hear him, they, were, they felt good about it. They felt better. Their aches and pains went away. Some of them had almost miraculous healings. We're not told about them, but there were thousands of them. For that matter, 
There are thousands of them yet today. Whenever the story of Jesus is told, people sense that the natural thing in life is to love the world and to love everyone in it, to have no enemies. And uh, you don't have to do anything supernatural. You just have to be a kind, loving uh, human being. And when I wrote those things down, I remember there's a Yiddish word for someone who is that kind of a, a reliable, faithful, kind, loving person who loves everybody. And it's the wonderful Yiddish word mensch, M-E-N-S-C-H. A mensch is someone who is just there and who always loves you, loves you, never lets you down. And uh, Jesus was in that sense, he was Jewish, not Yiddish, but he was a mensch. And you and I can be a mensch for Jesus. Certainly a good role to be as a pastor. It's just good to be a decent human being and to be what we were meant to be, uh, a mensch for Jesus, a friend for all mankind. It's the natural thing to be friends. And those who live that way can say in those lovely words of uh, Henry Frederick Amiel that I keep on my note paper, life is short and there is little time to gladden the hearts of those who travel with us. Therefore, be swift to love and make haste to be kind. And God bless you as you do this. Amen.